Welcome to the See Me Now podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Coleman, here with my co-host, Caitlin Birdsall, and we are joined today by Colorado Mesa University Associate Professor of Economics, Dr. Nathan Perry. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So you focus on economics, and I feel like that topic is very broad, um, but also it's in our everyday lives. And even even though we hear economics and we deal with those subjects or that subject constantly, we're really um, maybe unsure exactly what that entails and, and how it applies to everything we do. Can you kind of dive into that a bit for us today? Yeah, well, you know, the definition of economics, you can go a lot of ways, but really it's how do we allocate scarce resources? That's, I think, the fundamental question in economics. And you have two fields in economics. You have macroeconomics, which studies things like unemployment, inflation, GDP, what causes growth, um, policy, fiscal policy, monetary policy, the Federal Reserve. And then you have microeconomics, which is more things like market structure, monopolies, oligopolies, uh, problems in free markets or controlled markets, the problem with government intervention, some of the outcomes of unregulated markets. And so uh, none of these things that I've mentioned, or how do I put this? All of these things that I've mentioned impact our lives on a daily basis, whether you're a business owner, whether you're an employee, whether you work for government, whether you're trying to budget for food, the forces of the economy are impacting your life, which is why I think it's a really important discipline at the college level for everybody to have the basics of. So in your undergraduate degree that you earned from Westminster College, you were a double major in economics and philosophy, which may not be two subjects that you think go together. But I'm curious if now that you've been in your professional industry for quite a few years, do you find that that was a good balance having economics and philosophy or how you use that professionally and or personally? Yeah, I I had an interest in philosophy because it asks the big questions about life in the world and the nature of our existence. You know, it ties so well in with big religious questions. It ties in with secular questions. And I just love the critical thinking component of philosophy and the debate and just how it made me think bigger about the world and society and people. Um, And I think that it fits perfectly well with economics. And that's what I like about the discipline of economics is that it's so interdisciplinary. You know, you can't understand economics without understanding history. Um, You can't understand economics without understanding something about political science You know, I think the critical thinking components and the philosophical uh, ideologies have had an impact on the economic profession. And so, you know, business and economics are tied, um, finance and economics are tied. And a lot of my econ majors here, they'll double major in economics and data analytics, or they'll double major in economics and finance. And so economics is one of those degrees that, you know, it's it's social science and business, and it's great to pair with things. And um, there's so many, uh, you know, relationships with disciplines in the field of economics. And I think that's what appealed to me in my undergraduate. I liked liked thinking, you know, I liked critical thinking. That's what I was attracted to uh, in college. So that and girls. So you're going to cut that out, aren't you? (laughs) Yeah, you're not you're you're not the only one. Let me tell you, Um, you know, 
I think a lot of people listening to this podcast will hear your name and, and, and recognize it. And that's because you're not just in the classroom teaching students. You're also heavily involved in the community outside of uh, CMU here. And you're you're involved not only in Mesa County, but Delta, Montrose, the whole West Slope. What is your involvement in these different communities and their economy? And, and why are you invested in that research? You know, I think when you do a graduate degree in economics, there's not an economist out there who doesn't hope or strive to have an impact on policy one day. And, you know, I live in Grand Junction, Western Slope of Colorado, and I've been fortunate enough that there's a lot of economic work and studies in the form of grants and consulting that I've been able to contribute to and, you know, be relevant in the policy space. You know, and, and one thing I've tried to do is to do it in a really non-political way, kind of that old school, you know, academic integrity, um, non-biased approach to studies. And it's allowed me to tackle what I think are some really interesting topics. You know, I've worked on a couple of big energy studies when I think about Northwest Colorado and the energy transition that their economy is going to go through. You know, you think about Rio Blanco County, they've got 70% of their GDP is coal and natural gas, and and that, you know, coal is being retired, and that's a big deal for that region. And Moffat County. And then I've been able to work with some colleagues in political science, you know, my friend Tim Casey. We've been, been able to work on public land issues, you know, how studies for the Bureau of Land Management, studies for the health department on how we can get kids outdoors and the health impacts of outdoor recreation. I just finished my... Uh, Mesa County Economic Impact of Outdoor Recreation, which is kind of the first county-level study that I've seen done that tries to measure, uh, like the Bureau of Economic Analysis does at the state and national level, what the economic activity here in the county is. And, uh, you know, I'm not out trying to make policy, but as an economist, it's, it's a privilege that my work is useful in policy, you know. And as an economist, I think that's what everybody dreams of participating in if that makes sense. So, I, you know, it's, I don't want to say this is my, maybe it's too much to say it's my role, but I've kind of taken on this role of the economist of Western Colorado. And there are a lot of wonderful economists all over Colorado, especially on the front range. And, uh, but, you know, nobody's really tried to, to look at the data and make it public and write reports the way that I have out here. And I found that the community has responded really well to it and has appreciated my work and it's just been, you know, a great experience and hopefully it's been useful for, you know, planners and county commissioners or whoever, uh, you know, might utilize it. I like that you hit on the fact that, you know, as an economist, you're just really looking at data and information and trying to tell people what it says. And a lot of times people can think, oh, well, this topic is, you know, on this side of the aisle or that side of the aisle. But really um, what you're doing is is really focused on how is this data going to help this county or these people? And it's more of that human scale type of um, research or conversation that that happens here at CMU. And can you talk about why that human scale and that those relationships that you're building within the community is, is important to you in the work that you do. Yeah, well, you know, I, I think the good example is Northwest Colorado. And, uh, you know, I don't want to overstate my work because at the end of the day, policy changes need to be made by policymakers. They're, in my opinion, the important ones. You know, they're the ones that are going to make these decisions. They're going to listen to their communities. 
And so, you know, the role I play is extraordinarily small, but um, I cared very much about the research that I did because it does affect humans. You know, it's not just generic data research. This is a community that's going to lose the large percentage of their economic activity. And, you know, I didn't frame it as, um, oh, we shouldn't be getting rid of energy or we should be pro-energy. I just said this with this policy, this is what we're going to see. So what can we do to help fix it? And that's tried to how that's how I tried to approach it in a non-political way. There are a lot of people screaming from both sides, um, and that, that's the right to do so. But I just feel like at the university, I can take this role as, you know, if, if there's such a thing to be non-biased politically, you know, I don't even know if that's a thing, but I, I make a sincere attempt to try and do this work from a place that is accurate, data-driven, and useful. And, uh, you know, I really hope that I would play any role in solving some of these economic issues that we see in the Western Slope in Colorado. I mean, if I, somebody told me that my work contributed in any way, and I hope it has, you know, to this stuff, I, that would make me very happy in my career. So... The world in which we live today is very polarizing. So to have someone come at it from your perspective of what's best for this community and these people is really great to see. Well, I try. You know, it's it's a hard space to to publish in and to do work in because opinions are so fiery. But, you know, I think people, if, if you read my work, you'll see the sincerity of my attempt to be, you know, I, I call it old school academia. You know, this is the place you can come for an unbiased research report. And that's, that's, I think, you know, we talk about personal branding. Millennials have invented this idea of personal branding. That's, I actually hate that concept, but you should know about it. Uh, but that's what I've tried to do. You know, that's what I, that's the brand I'm trying to have at CMU is trustworthy, data-driven, you know, trying to be as apolitical as possible in a world that's super political and in a field that's political. I mean, economics is a political field. So it's a tightrope, but I, uh, I think the sincerity comes across and I try and make, you know, all of my work open and public and, you know, not in a black box. So, yeah. So you're serving on the Governor's Revenue Estimating Advisory Committee, and you have been serving on that since 2020, and you're the only Western Colorado economist on that advisory committee. Can you talk to us about what is that committee? What are the conversations that are happening in that room? And how is it shaping or maybe impacting some of our Coloradans' day-to-day lives? Yeah, so the governor puts a, well, he hires a team of economists because when the legislature, the governor tries to push some sort of bill that requires spending, they need to know how much revenue they have. So these economists do a ton of work for the state. And they have to build these economic forecasts that then they derive revenue forecasts from so they can then say when somebody introduces a bill that this is feasible, we have money for this, or we don't have money for this. And, and it's more complicated than that, but that's, you know, they, they do a lot of economic uh, stuff for the state. And so is what they do is uh, Governor Polis appoints people to a committee that work with these economists, and we provide input on our fields of specialty. So... You know, there's a lot of great economists on this committee, and I learned so much from them um, on it. And it have some really interesting discussions. We've got people, a lot of people from the front range. We've got some people from universities, from private consulting. Uh, we've got some people from the Federal Reserve. Uh, I represent my specialties, the Western Slope. And, uh, you know, I used to talk a lot about energy. Now we've got an energy expert from the School of Mines on there. Um, and so, you know, it's it's a privilege and a pleasure to serve on that committee. It's really interesting. Um, 
to hear the debates that go on, especially right now, the, the economic data is so mixed. Uh, never in my career have I seen lack of clarity on forecasts. And so um, the, the discussions lately have been interesting. And, you know, the point is, is that these discussions and presentations that we provide to each other and with each other help the, the state office, their economists make better decisions about their forecast and that they do a better job when, uh, when bills are passed and when they're forecasting revenue. So that's, that's the idea behind it. So it's really interesting to hear you talk because as somebody who is not an economist and not in that world, I feel like you take these complicated discussions and theories and your work and are able to explain it in a way where your everyday person would be able to understand. Do you find that's a strength of yours? And if so, do you apply that when you're in the classroom teaching students here at CMU? Yeah. You know, I think everyone has talents that they either develop or they're born with. You know, I, I feel like I was kind of born with the ability to talk. <laughs> um, yeah, I ex- uh, that's a talent of mine, explaining complicated stuff in a non-complicated way. And, uh, you know, I realized that when I was at the University of Utah doing my PhD, um, you know, I was a TA my first year of graduate school. And, uh, you know, I got to get up and present just, you know, summaries and just helping the students as a TA you know, these, we, it was this big 300-person class that I ended up teaching a couple of years later, but uh, I was a TA for it. And uh, I just realized, wow, well, I'm pretty good at explaining this stuff. Students really seem to like it. And then I got, because the students gave good feedback, in my second year of grad school when I was, let's see, 24, 23, I mean, I was really too young to teach a class. I think I was 23 because I think I started grad school at 22. I have to think about it. But anyways, um, so I taught my first class my second year of grad school, and truthfully, in your second year of grad school, you don't know enough about economics or your profession to teach. But I got thrown in because I communicated well. And despite some knowledge gaps, you know, I think the class went really well and the students loved it. And I got good teaching evaluations. And I thought, man, maybe this is something I can do for a living. You know, I don't know if I'd considered teaching at that point. But once I got in front of the classroom, I thought, man, this this wasn't very hard. You know, I just kind of got up and explained what I know and everyone seemed to understand me and I cracked a few jokes. And, and of course you learn more and you get better in the classroom. And I think that's, that's moved on to, uh, public speaking. You know, I love public speaking it, it, and this started at the university of Utah. I think everyone else is very afraid of getting up in front of people. I, I make students do presentations and they hate it. They're terrified. Some of them shake and I feel bad and I have to comfort them. And, uh, but you know, that was never me. Uh, Maybe when I was 20, I remember having to give a presentation. It scared me. But once I had to get up in front of 60 people in a classroom, my second year of grad school, you just, you just get over that fear. And then it just snowballed to where I just loved it. And, uh, you know, I taught this 300 person auditorium class at the university of Utah. And just, I just loved every second of that class. I don't know what it is about me. I like to be in front of hundreds of people talking, you know, I enjoy entertaining people with my subject matter and with joking around. And I think it's made me a successful professor in the classroom. And I think it's made me a successful public speaker and economist because everybody wants to, yeah, I write a lot of reports, but the truth is, is a lot of people want to just hear me speak about the report, you know, (laughs) so they don't have to read it. And so I, I do a lot of presenting and, you know, I enjoy it. So if we can dive into economic theories, because they've changed throughout the years and really um, 
it's it's humans in our society who who change these things over time. Not everything in economics is set in stone as we see, um, especially today. Can you kind of talk about when you first got into economics, how those theories have changed over time and how the way we see and think about the world helps that ebb and flow? Yeah, well, economics is an interesting profession because, like I said earlier, we're looking at history, political science, and the views in economics are subject to the political whims of society. And, uh, and so I remember when I started graduate school, we were, you know, you, you think about, well, let's take a little history trip. So you think about the post-World War II era. It's known as the Keynesian era. Uh, a lot of government control. It's the 60s were the era where, well, where economists believed that they could, you know, pull levers and push buttons and that they could get the optimal outcome for economic performance. And then that worked for a little while, and it was kind of the heyday of economic theory. And then we went into the 70s, and then a lot of the policies weren't working as well. And, if, you know, depending on what side you are, you agree or disagree. And, and so, but it doesn't matter because politically, the opinion changed against that form of politics and economics. And then we saw the Reagan and Thatcher era, and we saw the era of free market economics. And, you know, that progressed through the 80s and free trade through the 90s. And then, you know, the pendulum, I like to think of it in terms of a pendulum. And then the pendulum kind of swung pretty far in the direction of the right. And it culminated in the, what I call free market fundamentalism, where we just believe markets work all the time and they don't ever need regulating. And, and if you look at the financial crisis, um, you know, there's a lot of free market fundamentalism uh, embedded in the financial crisis. Uh, you look at credit default swaps and some of the ways that they refuse to regulate these things, and it was just very clear that it's a problem. And then, so, so then the millennials all lose their job. They're all graduating, right? And then they get upset. You know, Hillary Clinton called the millennials the children of the Great Recession. And then they're angry because unemployment's high for five, seven years. And so the pendulum swings back, and now it's what can government do for us? And, um, you know, what buttons can we press? And what policies are there? We saw a lot of fiscal policy. We've seen a lot of monetary policy. And so the pendulum swings back and forth. You know, it's fun to talk about the pendulum. I try not to take a side on the pendulum in the classroom or publicly, um, but, but that's, that's how it is. Um, and so the, the thoughts and the theories and the approaches are changing all the time, and they're subject to kind of these political uh, forces, and, you know, you'll go through a conservative era where there are a lot of, uh, a lot of people get inspired to do conservative uh, economics PhDs, and then they'll go out and teach, and, and then you'll go through a liberal era. And, and so it, it keeps the profession interesting for me, for sure. And it's, it's interesting to, to look at the history of economic thought as well within the context of politics. Uh, it's definitely a fun story to narrate in my macro class. You produce a lot of uh, valuable economic newsletters for the region. What are some maybe fun facts or interesting figures that you can throw at us today to um, have some of the listeners say, oh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Boy, you know, one thing I've noticed is that uh, I, f I feel like things about the economy are so intense right now that they're all over the place. Because when I think about the most important data points, inflation is ridiculous. There's not a person who's listening to this who didn't notice that eggs were $10 this week, okay? Or that I bought a bag of frozen blueberries. It used to be $9.99. It was $17. And uh, I don't care what income range you're at, you are thinking about that and making choices as a, as a consumer. So, you know, I think about inflation. 
I think about interest rates, you know, but everyone knows interest rates are rising. This is, again, very, uh, you know, it's in the mainstream media. People are talking about it. Uh, but despite that, um, you know, data points that I would point out locally are still really strong. We had relatively strong growth last year. Um, you know, in my last economic newsletter, I documented standard of living uh, measures for 2021, which is it's yearly data, so it's the most recent data we have. You know, looked great. I'm expecting really strong numbers for 2022. Um, so despite, you know, this kind of turn in late 2022, locally we seem to be doing okay so far. I'm not so convinced we're going to see this crazy recession anymore. I mean, a lot of the economic data um, is positive. There's some negative economic data points. Uh, we've got an inverted yield curve. That's a data point I'd bring up. That signals recession. Uh, you know, retail sales were 1% less last month. That's a data point I'd think about. Um, but another data point is unemployment, and it hasn't really budged. So what does what what a recession look like if unemployment stays low? Um, I don't know if it is a recession. So it is a weird year. And I've never seen with recessions so many people predict the same recession. I've never seen anything like it. And it almost makes me think that because so many companies have seen this coming, that we're going to prepare for this adequately. And if we have a recession, it's going to be mild, you know. So that's another data point. You know, I think the Atlanta GDP as of today, you know, late January is showing a ton of GDP growth for quarter four. So I keep hearing about this recession, you know, and I, and I see the layoffs in tech and I see the yield curve signaling recession. I've talked about it in my presentations, but, but then you got these other data points to say things are, things are pretty sharp. So it is a strange time. I would hate to be forecasting right now. You know, I'd hate to be the, re you know, the state economists who have to estimate revenue and growth because you can make a lot of different arguments with conflicting data points right now. But I'm getting more optimistic the more time passes. I can't imagine being in your brain going through life and everything is a data point probably for you, right? You're like, oh, buying blueberries. Here's a thought. Oh, see a house for sale. That's been on the market for 45 days. Oh, here's a data point. <laughs> like everything probably plays into that for you. Yeah? You know, data and incentives. That's the real thing about economics is once you learn the discipline of economics, you just see everything as an incentive scheme. And you start to see people's decisions and actions based on incentives. And then everything starts to make sense, you know. And so you get into these discussions with people and, you know, they don't recognize their own incentives. And as an economist, you're just thinking, I know exactly what decision you're going to make, you know, because here's the incentive in front of you. And people are smarter than they think. Somewhere in their brain, they seem to, most people seem to follow their incentives. And so, you know, I get irritated when I see bad incentive schemes because I know exactly what outcomes are going to come from that. But other people, they don't, they refuse to think of people as selfish, incentivized people. They, they like to think of people as, uh, you know, I don't know, <laughs> what I would think of as made up versions or different iterations of decision making than economists think. And uh, I think that they're all wrong. You know, in my life, incentives have ruled and um, I see it over and over again. So, yes, I see data, but I'll tell you, it, it kind of ruins you in a way <laughs> when you learn economics because that's just how you see the world. Um, yeah, I remember dating, you know, and I just remember thinking about data and incentives. I remember I read this paper called The Economics of Online Dating, and it just totally changed everything for me, you know. So data and incentives in dating in this economics paper, and I, I remember being young and reading that. And So, yes, data, but incentives is the other thing. <laughs> 
So we've covered a lot today. And um, one thing I think we haven't covered yet is, you know, you've really found your niche in these regional studies where you're carving out that you are the expert in Western Colorado. So what's next? I mean, you're in the classroom teaching still, you're conducting these really interesting and impactful studies. What's next for Dr. Nathan Perry? Yeah, well, I want to continue with the regional work. I'm still working on the seven newsletters, and that takes an enormous amount of time because they're about 15 pages each. But uh, I I love tracking these counties. You know, nobody tracks the county-level data like this, and so I love doing it. Uh, I love getting out and presenting. Um, you know, I just finished my big outdoor recreation uh, Mesa County report, and I for five years I've had some sort of big grant or big consulting uh, project deadline. And, um, you know, I've seen a, a few projects pop up that I thought was going to happen, but a few of them kind of fell through kind of waiting on one. So here's my answer. I like to stay busy. Okay. I, I have too much, uh, latent anxiety to have too much free time. <laughs> and so I like to, uh, I like working on these projects. I like serving the Western slope, being a regional economist, you know, bringing that into the classroom, I like applying for grants, and so I'm just keeping my ears open. Uh, I like I don't want to just do something to do it. I want to find a project that's useful. I've got a couple ideas in mind. I might apply for some grants, uh, but I want to keep keep it going as long as it's useful. I mean, if it's not useful, I can do something else, I suppose. But I feel like every project I've worked on has been positively received by the community and stakeholders and politicians. Um, so that's, I just want to keep it moving and keep it building. That's, that's the goal. Should have probably hit on this in the beginning, but I want to talk about who is Dr. Nathan Perry outside of the classroom and outside of these studies. You know, do you get invited to uh, dinner parties often? Are you, um, you're, you're from Salt Lake. You know, what, what do you, what do you do outside of, 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 yeah, this field? Um, well, so I have a family. I'm married with three kids, uh, 10, 7, and 4, and I spend a lot of time with them. So in the summers, uh, I have an acre here, and I uh, spend a lot of time desert scaping. I just love to terraform my uh, garden and plant stuff, and I've just learned so much about gardening, and my son is really interested in it. Um, I, uh, I play a lot of basketball. I'm coaching my son's basketball team right now, so that's fun. You know, um, Is it fun or what, what, how old is he? He's 10. It's, okay, that's it's fun. fun. Yeah. It's fun. Uh, yeah, I'm enjoying it. And I like to play basketball. I haven't played a lot lately. You're making me realize that I haven't, been to, you know, pl- I haven't played basketball in like a few months. But, uh, so I'm a big basketball player. Uh, you know, I like to play Nintendo with my kids. We get a game going and just... I don't know. I mean, I think I used to be more interesting before I had kids. I'm trying to think of something, you know, <laughs> interesting. I just, I can I'm just relate. kind of I a dad right that. now. Um, I like to travel. So, you know, I hate winters. Um, and so we were in Hawaii a week ago uh, because I just can't handle the winter. Everyone tells me I need a winter hobby, but uh, my winter hobby is to go somewhere warm. Um, I like to read. Uh, you know, I like to... I like to keep up on the news. I read a lot of Wall Street Journal. Oh, I love the stock market. You know, 
I, uh, I like to trade. I, um, I like to make moves in my retirement account and, you know, see if I can beat the market. That's kind of a game for me. Um, do you advise a lot of students on that? Isn't that the new thing? You know, you download an app and you just kind of... Yeah, I advise them to not day trade. Um, <laughs> I advise them to, you know, if they're going to day trade, to trade with fake money. You know, I used to currency trade in graduate school and, uh, you know, <laughs> I made a lot of money and then I lost a lot of money because um, in the currency markets, at least back then, you could leverage up 200 times. It was crazy. And, uh, you know, I've done the same thing with my stock trading account. You know, I, I made a bunch of money and then I lost a bunch of money. Um, but overall, you know, it's a fun game and I, I know it's a game and I have some risk mitigation. And I do advise, I used to be an advisor for the uh, finance club uh, that they have 100,000 that they manage for the university. Um, now I'm kind of periphery, like they keep me in the loop and I show up sometimes. But uh, yeah, God, what else? I can't think of anything. You're making That's me feel boring. What <laughs> favorite favorite place you've been? You know, I'd have to say um, Kauai is my favorite place on the planet. Um, that's yeah. We should say you're wearing a beanie, a big jacket over your suit right now, so Indoors. we can tell that you. I don't, yeah, inside. I don't do cold. <laughs> it's just not. It's just a big countdown till March for me when I can be outside in my garden. <laughs> and that's you know that's one of the things I love about Grand Junction is it gets hot. You know, these mountain towns that stay cool, I don't know. You know, I love the heat. And so this dry heat, the high desert, you know, I, I love the March through uh, late October. It's just the best to me. And then it's just, uh, I just survive, you know, <laughs> November through February. <laughs> so, Well, this high desert loves you back. Thank you so much, Dr. Perry, for being here today. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the See Me Now podcast. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.